to Ephesians chapter 4. We turn the corner out of chapter 3 into chapter 4. The first six verses, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So far the reading of God's Word. One of the greatest football coaches that America has ever seen was a guy named Paul Bryant. What was his uh, nickname? Bear Bryant. The University of Alabama at one time had won more games than any other collegiate coach in history. And he was asked, how, how did you win so many games through the year? Here's what he said. He said, well... I'm just an old plow hand from Arkansas. But I have learned how to hold a team together. I've learned how to lift some men up and how to hold others down until finally we had one heartbeat together, a team. I like that. Until together we had one heartbeat Together, a team. And this is what the Apostle Paul is writing about as he turns the corner into chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians. That the church is to be this single unit composed of, of many different parts for the purpose of accomplishing a common goal based on our relationship with Christ and the mission that he has given us. Now, in the first three chapters, we've been studying this now over a number of months, and I hope you remember how many times he writes about the riches, the wealth that's ours as the people of God. And, and I won't rehearse it all, but verse after verse after verse, it's just about his grace and his grace and his love and his, his effectual calling and bringing you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And when you were dead in sins, he made you alive and all of the riches that he lavished on you. And now, just like he does in so many of his other letters, he says, therefore, because of this, therefore, live a life Worthy of the calling. And, and actually, it's not live. The, the, I don't know. They translated it live because they thought it would be easier to understand, but it's the word walk. Walk. And I actually prefer the word as you walk through life. Walk. Worthy of the calling you have received. Now, worthy here does not mean, listen carefully, it does not mean that you become suddenly worthy of salvation. 
It's a, it's a word that, uh, actually in the Greek language, it's axiomatic. It means it's an axiom. It, it Give equal value. If you received all these riches, then you should care just as much about how you present yourself as you walk through life. And he says, let me tell you, let me show you how to do it. Because of who you are in Christ, live like who you are in Christ. And I'm really excited because over the next couple of months, we're going to see that he wants us to live in unity, in purity, in harmony, and in victory. And I'm excited about exploring that together as a church family. And today, we want to hear very clearly what he says in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. United we stand... And what's the second half of that phrase? Divided we fall. And if you look in your sermon outline, you're going to see God wants us united by three things at least. He wants us united by our Christ-like behavior. He wants us united by our agreement on foundational doctrines. And He wants us united through our relationship with the Trinity. It's all packed into these six verses. Unity. You know, we get this not from Bear Bryant. We get this from Jesus himself, who said to his disciples in Mark 3.25, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So what do we want? We want a single heartbeat together. We want to be a team here on the north shore of Long Island. Oneness, in agreement, moving forward together. The first thing he lays out then is he starts with the attitudes and the behaviors that are essential for a healthy family, for a healthy marriage, for a healthy small group in the church, and for the church as a whole. And what does he say here? What's on this list that's so essential for you and for me to represent him well on this earth? Well, the first thing he mentions is humility. Humility. Be completely humble. Why is this so important for the church? Well, maybe he remembers Proverbs, and chapter 13, verse 10 of Proverbs says this, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Pride breeds quarrels. You know how sometimes we have testimonies in church right before the sermon? And I like to have testimonies. And I thought about inviting uh, some, some of you who have experienced church fights. And how horrible. Come give a testimony about how horrible a church fight you saw really was. And I just thought, oh no, what if we did that? That would be... Everybody be so depressed. We're not going to do that testimony today. Uh, but, I, you know, but I've read about, and as you know, I've been a consultant with Peacemaker Ministries, and you don't, maybe don't know that, but I've worked uh, to help do conflict resolution, and, and there is nothing as awful, as, as just demoralizing as churches that split, and, and people sue each other, and they have ecclesiastical battles, and and uh, I read about one where they, 
One threw another group out, and, and they went to court, and the judge threw out the case. And they tried it in the church courts, and, and they all discovered that the two sides all boiled down to a night at a church potluck when an elder was served a smaller piece of ham than one of the kids in the church. Being humble is the opposite of being proud and self-centered. And nothing kills relationships like pride and arrogance. And I know that from experience. Because I've hurt friendships because of my own pride. Pride is unwilling to listen. Pride is unwilling to take advice and counsel. Pride is unwilling to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Isaiah 66, verse 2, the elders, soon after I came here, we as a board of elders camped out on Isaiah 66, verse 2, where God says, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. And for almost a whole year, didn't we, as elders, we just came back to this verse again and again, and we said, this has to characterize us. And we prayed for unity and harmony and humility within our church family. And I, and I would say over, over the years, God has blessed us, friends, with a, with a supernatural unity and humility and harmony. And I pray that He will continue to do this. How do you know if you have humility? <laughs> I have a friend named Claire Davis. He, Claire Davis, he's an old man now. But he used to say this. He would say, so, you think you're humble. You think you're a servant. Well, how do you feel when people treat you like a servant? Then you'll know if you're humble. <laughs> He's right. Humble. Could we pray for humility in the church family? The next word is gentleness. It might be translated meekness. And it's not a word that means that you're a weakling. It's the same word that they use to describe a stallion who's finally brought his, his energy under control. You know, when the cowboy breaks the colt, Finally, the colt is still filled with energy, but now it's under control. That's what this word, this gentleness, this meekness, is strength under control. And who is our great example of it? Just as Jesus Christ was our great example of humility, Jesus is our great example of strength under control. And you watch him as he goes to his trial, this mockery as he stands before Pontius Pilate, as he stands before Caiaphas, as he hears the mocking voices and he, he says, you know, I could call down legions of angels at any moment. That's what I would have done. <laughs> but not Jesus. He has his strength under control. He is meek. He's gentle. He's winsome. Um, Ken Sandy, who wrote this little insert that you have in your... Don't get it out now, but it's in your, you'll look at it in a minute. In, in your program, Ken Sandy, who writes about peacemaking principles, he, he says this about winsome. He says, he picks up on this word, and he says, 
To be winsome is to be generally pleasing and engaging because of a childlike charm and innocence. Then he says, most of us are not winsome. We've lost our childhood innocence. That's sweetness. You know, how how do you describe this? It's like the doorbell rings, ding dong, and you go, and it's Girl Scout season. And the sweet little thing comes up to the door with her with her box of boxes of cookies, and she just says, Please, would you like to buy some Girl Scout cookie? And what do I say? Oh yeah, here. That childlike innocence. It's the strength under control with that kind of gentleness, sweetness that he wants us to have as his ambassadors, as his children. And Jesus is our example. The next word is patience. This new behavior that's going to create unity among us is patience. What is that? It literally means long-tempered. The ability to endure discouragement and difficult uh, uh, discomfort without fighting back. And who is our example of that? Again, it's Jesus. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Once again, Jesus is so patient. What about you? Is your tendency to want to fight back? I'll give you the right answer. I'll show you what for. And that does not promote unity. Let me ask you this question. Do you want people to be patient with you? Yes, you do want people to be patient with you. Should you be patient with other people? Yes, you should be patient with other people. Proverbs 16, 32 says, Better a patient man than a warrior. Hmm. A man who controls his temper is better than a man who can take a city. And that leads to what? The very next behavior, bearing with one another. Is this Christ-like behavior? To bear with the... As, uh, to, it means to hold up. It means to serve and to get under the load that other people are carrying. It's Valentine's Day. I got a nice card from Nina this morning. Nina's uh, card to me is a fork and a spoon, silver. It says... Where are some things in this... There are some things in this world that go together that don't just seem quite complete without each other. And maybe that's why, after all, there's me and there's you. Happy Valentine's Day. Isn't that a nice card? Well, I got Nina a card. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it says, bearing with one another. And so here's the card, and it's... Here's the guy asleep on the couch, and there's chips on the floor and the newspaper out and the remote control in his hand there. He's asleep on the couch, and the wife is looking over him there, and he says, Honey, even though there have been times when I'm sure you wanted to, and you open it up, it says, Thanks for never strangling me in my sleep. <laughs> now that's love, and the guy's tongue sticks out as the hands are around his neck. Why, why, why is this so special that I'm standing here before you today? 
because Nina has learned how to bear with me. And maybe there's a couple other people here in this room that, you know, a parent or a spouse or a brother or a sister had to learn to bear with you. You should be thankful. Forbearance breeds unity in the body of Christ. Because we are ruled by love. And then notice, he says at the beginning of verse 3, make every effort. And here he's speaking about diligence. Diligence, making effort, because maintaining unity apparently is hard work. It's just a lot of effort. It's, It's part of why some people don't like being in churches, because it does require effort to get along with the rest of the people in this room and to get along with the preacher and to get along with the elders. You heard about the woman who said, when I die, I don't want to go to heaven because I heard there's going to be 24 elders there. (laughs) You have to work at it. Make every effort. You know, this. I, I did put this brochure in your program from Peacemaker's Ministry. Take a look at this. Take this out right now. Let me tell you, friends, this is so important to how you are to live as the body of Christ. And and um, we're not going to go through this whole thing. I once spent uh, 10 weeks in, in the Sunday school class soon after I moved here working through these principles. But you can see the slippery slope in the middle. And uh, you take this home, you read it. And it shows you how on the one side, that's the, uh, the red side, are the attack responses when somebody bothers you. It's to attack. On the other side, the blue side, are the escape or avoidance responses. And every one of us tends to fall off the horse on either side of this. Some of us attack, we're winners by nature. Some of us are avoiders and escapers by nature. And neither one are permitted by the Bible. The Bible gives us in the middle what are called the peacemaking responses. Making every effort to have the bond of peace in the body of Christ. And this explains how you actually work it out. This is worth having. You know, get out the magnet. Put it on the refrigerator at home. This is how we work things out as the body of Christ. It's not cheap. It doesn't come easy. But neither was the crown of thorns. Neither was the old rugged cross. Neither was the hands pierced and the feet pierced. Easy for Jesus. But he did it for you and he did it for me. And so we do it for each other. So that's number one. He wants unity through Christ-like behavior. But then he goes on and, and, he, and he fires off in rapid succession. It's like a Gatling gun, you know. He fires off in succession that we must have agreement on foundational doctrines. And maybe there's somebody here who says, oh, don't bother me with doctrine. You know, I'm not, I'm not into that theology stuff. I just want to love everybody. But the problem is, you never will. You'll never obey chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians. Never. Unless you first understand and embrace chapters 1 through 3. You will never obey Romans um, 12 through the end, through 16, unless you first understand, embrace, and appreciate Romans 1 through 12. And it goes on like that. So what does he lay out before us? You know, when someone joins the North Shore Community Church, when you stood up front 
and you became a member of this church, you made five declarations and promises. And, and the fifth promise, in the fifth promise, can I remind you what you said? You promised to submit yourself, yeah, to the government of discip- and discipline of the church, but then you promised to promote its purity and peace. Whoa. Did I say that? That's what some of you... Did I, did I promise? Yes, you did. You promised to promote the purity, purity of life and doctrine and peace to get along. And here's where the church has wrestled through the centuries. The church wrestles between... Because there's sometimes tension between purity and peace. There are people who just want to fight about purity and they disrupt the peace of the church with their nitpicking in the name of purity. But on the other hand, there are people who just want peace, peace at any price, and they allow heresy and immorality to just run rampant in the church. But I love the purity of the church, and I love the peace of the church, and I hope you share that same love, and that together we're committed to the purity of doctrine in the life of this church. What does he lay out as he goes... What, what, what does he lay out there? He says... One body, one hope, one faith, one baptism. And and again, this one body image is that we are a team. And we don't need Bear Bryant. We need the Holy Spirit to knit us together as a team. And in the 12th chapter of Corinthians, Paul writes about the body. And he says, you know, you have ears and you have eyes. And he says the ear is not supposed to say to the eye, I don't need you. And the eye is not supposed to say to the ear, I don't need you. Where would the sense of hearing be, Paul says? Where would the sense of seeing be? Let me remind you of something very important. You are important to this church. You are important to this church. You say, who, me? I just come and fill a a seat. No, no, no. We are not spectators. We are participants in the body of Christ. Every one of us. Yeah, I know. It's more comfortable to be a spectator. But you're a part of the body. Nobody can do everything. Everyone can do something. So there's one body. We're a team. One hope. And I love this. Because there are many things that you could put your hope in. You could put your hope in the stock market. You could put your hope in your bank account. You could put your hope in your husband. You could put your hope in your wife. You could put your hope in your children. But Paul says we have one hope. One hope. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our hope. He's coming again. He's called the blessed hope hope. And if you know Jesus Christ, you know that he is your creator, your redeemer, your master, your friend, the lover of your soul. He is your hope. One faith. And and the word faith here right now is not referring to the act of believing, but to the body of basic doctrine. And the New Testament uses this word for faith as like a deposit put in a safety deposit box that gets passed on. 
That's what uh, he says in 2 Timothy 2.2. You take this faith, this deposit, and you entrust it to faithful men who will pass it on, who in turn will pass it on faithfully. In the book of Jude, remember that this little tiny book right before the book of Revelation. In the book of Jude, there's only one chapter, so it's Jude 3. Jude speaks of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Paul says, what I gave you is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead. One faith. We're a confessional church. That is, we have a systematic understanding of the Bible, and we hold to it dearly. The faith that God gave us. And one baptism. Baptism. This marvelous, marvelous sign of initiation into the covenant community to show that you are cleansed of your sin and united by grace. And there's not many baptisms. There's the Christian baptism. Water applied in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And some of you were baptized right in this sanctuary. Others of you were baptized in different churches. But you were baptized with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there is one baptism. And it is true and it is good. So, we're united by our Christ-like behavior. So, we are united by our commitment to foundational doctrines and truths that we must hold. But then, number three, God wants us united in the Trinity. And this is beautiful. Whenever you're reading, especially the epistles, look for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit woven through the sentences together. It's extraordinary. One spirit. Paul lived in a day when there were many demon spirits. There were many spirits out there. And, and uh, you, you might, if you're a pagan, you might pray to the, the rain god or the god of fertility or the demon of fertility or uh, you plant your corn and, and fertilize it and pray for the spirit there. He says, no, 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 no. There's one spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit pours out the fruit of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God that takes the salvation of Christ and applies it to the believer and then works love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control into your heart, into your life. There is one Spirit. There is one Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the head of this church? Not John Yenshko. No, no, no. Who is the head of this church? Jesus Christ is the king and head of his church. And he gets all the glory. He is our leader. He is our head. One Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, you, you have all kinds of religious leaders who claim that they are the boss of their ministries. No, no, no. Christ is the king and head of every church and of every Christian conscience. And then one God and Father. There's one God. How many gods? One God who is over all and through all and in all. And he's called a Father. And that makes us family. 
You get that together? It's one God that makes us family. And it elicits a kind of family loyalty in us. Someone here just went to their uh, high school reunion of uh, several decades ago. And um, they play the, the old Beach Boys song, Be True to Your School. <laughs> well, the Beach Boys had a point. Loyalty is a good virtue. Be true to your church. Be true to your God. One God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Be true. You're a part of the family. You're a worshiper. You're a disciple. And when your brother does you wrong, when your brother annoys you, you know what you do? Brian Chappell wrote this. I read him in his commentary this week. He writes this. Listen. When, when I look at a brother whom I believe is wrong in his perspective or who has wronged me, I must look behind the eyes of one who has heard me or who has hurt me or who is angry with me, and I must see Jesus dwelling in him. This is a person for whom Christ died, in whom the Son of God lives. He is my brother in the church. And so you are called to say in this church family, you're my brother, you're my sister. We have the same heavenly Father, we're in the same family. Teamwork. Bear Bryant was a genius. Knew how to lift some people up and calm others down until we had one heartbeat, one family. In Pennsylvania, a number of years ago, some of you read about nine coal miners trapped in a mine, hundreds and hundreds of feet beneath the surface down, trapped in a pit, and the water was flowing through them, uh, among them, and so they were in the water for days, three days. And they decided that they would either live together or die together. And the only way they could survive is as one began to experience hypothermia, the other eight would crowd in around him and warm him up until another started to say, I'm, I'm losing it. And then that one would move into the center and the warmed one would go to the outside. And they kept one another warm, together, one heartbeat as a team. And they all lived. Brothers and sisters, we are the church, one body. In the six years I've been here, we've had tremendous supernatural unity. May God continue to grant that to us. And as we come now to the Lord's table, we learn in 1 Corinthians 10.17, not a passage that I've probably preached on here. 1 Corinthians 10.17 says that we eat from one loaf of bread. The ladies who prepared this meal for us. They broke the one piece of bread, but we eat from one loaf because we are one body. And so this now is a symbol of unity. As we come to the Lord's table, let's humble ourselves before Him. Let's live with Christ-like behavior in the power of His Spirit. 
Let's be committed to these foundational doctrines. And let's live in our unity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask for your help as we turn the corner into this marvelous uh, three or three more chapters. We pray we would learn how to live and love uh, in your way. Now as we come to communion, Lord, we want to be quiet and examine ourselves and we ask you if there are ways that you've convicted us in this sermon that we would just let you do business with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Clayton Prue, if you would come, and Bill Melcher, if you would come help us distribute. Some of our elders are away today. Our Lord Jesus Christ sat with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, and he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that is to say, you have publicly identified yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, been baptized into his church, professed your faith. And this is a table where you are welcome. You don't have to be just a member of our church, but a member of some church. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, he broke bread with his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the bread is distributed... As the bread is distributed, I um, just want you to know the reason why I ask you to hold the bread and hold the cup so that we all partake together simultaneously is that this is actually a very important part of Presbyterian tradition. Some Christian communities you just sort of eat by yourself whenever you feel like you're ready or you're in a line. But... We have felt so strongly through the centuries that the church should be united as she feeds on, feeds on Christ. So we pass it out and we hold it. And then together we take. And there, there's something beautiful about that, isn't it? You wait until everyone has been served. And, and that's, that's our way of doing it. You don't have to do it that way. But it's because unity matters so much to us that we do it this way. So um, maybe you would take the time right now and just pray for the person, for the people around you. Pray for your family. Maybe some in your family do not have the gift of faith at this time. Would you pray for them that God would grant that? Maybe you're feeling some tension between you and someone else in the church. Would you pray for a godly resolution of that? But let's just pray.
Take the bread now together and let us feed on Christ in our hearts by faith. This moment of feeding our Father is a moment of believing. Believing we are united and one with our brothers and sisters. For you are the God and Father, the one God and Father over us all. We pray that the one hope would be Jesus Christ in our life. Not getting into a certain college or getting a certain car or achieving a certain dollar amount in our portfolios, but our hope would be Jesus Christ, in whose name we give thanks. Amen. In the same manner, after supper, our Savior took the cup, and he blessed it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. All of you drink of it. And again, we're just going to have a time of quiet, we're going to distribute the cup. And I invite you to ask God for gentleness, I'm sorry, for humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and diligence. Which of those do you need in your life? All of them? Well, you can camp out on one or two. These are the, this is the life of Jesus Christ to be shaped in you. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you where you have not been humble or patient or gentle. As I must ask him to forgive me. Let's be quiet before him.
am so glad that we can do this together. It is the blood of Christ shed for you which preserves you to eternal life. Drink and be thankful. Oh, we are thankful. We are thankful, Lord, that this blood is sufficient to cover all our many sins. And that as we drink together, we stand as one, unified in you. We pray that as we leave this place, we would be committed to your mission in our lives, and we would give ourselves completely to you, gladly. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close with this final great, wonderful hymn and let him just capture you once again. When I survey God of hope, 
fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.